what's going on everybody and welcome back to the channel uh yeah uh i i figured i'll start doing these chats a little more often uh i mean i say that and you know i i haven't had one in a, a week or two but <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna start uh start getting a few more here and uh today we're i guess we'll, we'll start with today we've got lee matthew goldberg uh here to talk about some of his books lee how are we doing today I'm doing great. I'm in New York and it looks like it's like 60 degrees outside for the first time in a long time. So I couldn't be happier. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like it, it, the weather is starting to kind of get a little bit better. I mean, I know daylight savings time's coming up. And yeah. I mean, it's going to be like right. 70 here all week in Alabama. So oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told my wife, I was like, you know, we've, we've definitely got to start hitting the lake up. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 I've been in the house for, like I guess a year now. It's it's almost been an exact year since like pretty much yeah started working from home and 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 my boss was like yeah do what you got to do <laughs> so it, it feels weird to be able to get out and about again yeah I'm ready to start like I just got my vaccine two days ago I'm ready to start hey. again yeah although you know just the first dose so right <laughs> hey you're you're a step ahead of me so <laughs> I don't know when we're gonna get allowed it so which I think my wife will beat me to it because she's an educator so okay cool cool yeah so um well um let's kind of let's kind of start a, a little bit about you um you know you're you're fairly new to me I know uh you know you published a straight shot to me uh, a little while back to to kind of hype up your, your new book but uh tell me about yourself tell me about growing up and then kind of how you got into writing Sure. Um, I've basically always been a writer. I used to write books when I was like a little kid about my dog getting into like crazy adventures. Um, so it's something I've always wanted to do. And then my first book came out in uh, 2015 um, and I've pretty much written thrillers. Um, but my last thriller, The Ancestor, like flirted with sci-fi a little bit. It's about a man um, who believes he's frozen in time since the gold rush era. Um, and so that kind of led me to my new book, Orange City, which is more pure sci-fi. Um, and yeah, I live in New York City and I write most days under a tree in Central Park. Um, and that's my life. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, you always have to have pretty, pretty good scenery to, I guess, to, to kind of get the juices flowing. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited that it's not snow, a snow ground and I could do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you, do you, um, do you, do you, have you been able to find yourself doing that, you know, with the pandemic? I mean, I know, you know, the whole like getting out and about, getting in public has been kind of iffy, but uh, I assume you'd be able to, you know, wearing a mask and be able to go to, go to the park. Yeah, actually Central Park. And I mean, it, it, we got hit so hard at the beginning of the pandemic in New York. Um, so a year ago, really today and for the next couple months, um, a year ago was when it was the worst. Um, so Central Park was one of the first like outings that I had because it seemed the safest. You were the least, you know, uh, like on top of people. Um, so I just started going there and writing again. And that was kind of my first instance of reemerging in the world. Uh, so, it, you know, it was, it was great. And I mean, I live in Midtown, so it was a way of kind of getting away from all the, you know, the crowds and the people. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, kind of wish like I had like a big park area to go to. I mean, like what we've got around here, we've just got, you know, small little, like like soccer fields and baseball fields and stuff yeah. like we don't have just like an open area with benches and a little pond or a lake or anything it's it's kind of sad I, I i feel like i could get some writing done if i actually like went out and did that but maybe yeah. just gonna take the take the extra 10 15 minutes to drive down to the lake one day yeah, do that. Right. I mean, water is good too water is just as good as a park um yeah i mean i find like if i'm in nature and then i'm surrounded by people but i'm not in a coffee shop where like 
I'm hearing people. So it's mm -hmm. kind of the perfect mix of me feeling like I'm somewhat social during the day, um, but I don't have to be social. Uh, so yeah, it, work, it works great for me. I'm gonna head there later today because it's nice. <laughs> I say, well, now that the weather is actually beautiful, yeah. why not? <laughs> yeah, I, I've always, I've always been interested. You know how people can write in coffee shops because you, know, you, you always, you always see, you know, the pictures of like, you know, you got your MacBook out, you got mm -hmm. your, head, you know, your headphones on and a cup of coffee. But I'm like, you know, you don't have to necessarily have headphones on if you aren't in a coffee shop because there are right. other places where it's more quiet, but. I don't know. Maybe it's just the whole like this is a routine thing. I get my coffee and I start writing, but uh, I don't know. So, something about being among the hustle and bustle of the day, people going in and out. I just get so distracted. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, I don't know. When I'm when I'm in a groove, I like leave my body. I don't know where I go, but I just go somewhere for like a couple hours. Um, so it's really hard to do if I'm hearing like somebody yelling on the phone and somebody's orders messed up and <laughs> it, it's, it's just not going to work for me. Um, so I find like, yeah, like I said, like a park is like a nice medium. Um, mm -hmm. and it gets me out of my apartment. I don't really like writing in my apartment that much. I mean, I have during the pandemic, you know, but for, for the most part, I try not to. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it almost, it almost like hinders your imagination a little bit when you're stuck in the same room. For yeah, and there's like so too many, there's like there's my TV, there's internet. I mean, there's just so many things that could distract me. Um, and uh, you know, I don't live in like I live in a small Manhattan apartment, so there's not that many places to go to kind of take a break <laughs> from it. Like my desk is the center of my apartment. <laughs> so yeah, I, for me to get out of the house is 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 the best. And in wintertime, in normal times, I'll write at the the main library, which is like the Ghostbusters library. It's famous for, um, and and they have like a quiet room, and it's got like thousand foot ceiling. I mean, it's an amazing place to work in. Um, they've just been closed, obviously. You know. For this right. year. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing here is like, I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sit down, you know, at my desk or like in the den or something and it's quiet. Like my wife's at work, my, you know, my, my daughter's, you know, her grandmother's and I just sit there and I just go, there's so many things I could be doing right now. Right. <laughs> and, and I think, I think that ability. Yeah, a great shelf of books, you know, right behind you. It's so easy right. to be like, let me just read a Joe Hill book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just like, Oh, I mean, I could clean house. I could, yeah. I could go work out because we've got like a, a, a three car garage. So our, our third car one's uh, just kind of set off for like workout areas. Like I can go work out and go outside and play with the dog. Why am I, why am I writing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what's still great about being in a park. Like I don't have internet on my computer. I have it on my phone for like research stuff, um, mm -hmm. but I'm not like locked into it. I'm not going to just like go on Facebook or just do anything to kind of suck time away. Um, and, and, and I find it, 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 it's like, it's the best. I mean, I don't know what I would do without it. I don't think I would have written any of my books, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I, I almost like yeah, want to, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I almost, I almost like want to like go back to the old Nokia brick phone just so I don't have internet on my phone because I, I feel like if, if I could just set that aside, then I'd be good. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty tame with like how much I say on social media and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's it's like that mind-numbing task of like you know if you're sitting there, say like you're watching a television show or a movie, or you know you're just kind of like walking around. Like I feel like you're just always I know. staring I, at it, and I'm like, goal, why can't I just stop? <laughs> my goal is to, is to be better. I really want to like not be attached to my phone. I want to put it down. I want to use it only for like business and and stuff like that, and that's it. 
Um, but it's easier said than done. Um, I think, you know, coming out of COVID when we're actually like have plans and doing things again, it will be easier. We've just had nothing to do for a year. So like, yeah. <laughs> might as well just be on your phone all day. Like it, it was a way of just connecting with people also. Yeah. So it, it was necessary. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, me and the phone need a break. <laughs> we need to part ways. We need, we need to go separate ways for a little while. <laughs> for a while. That social media, a lot of things. I'm, I'm gonna need a break for it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I want to like you know travel and I don't know, just experience life again. Right. Yeah. I feel. I feel like you know, like this summer. You know, like once my once my wife's done with the school year, I, I feel like I'm just gonna be like, okay, I think I'm just gonna take like a three month break from social media. I'll still you know do like my book reviews and stuff, but I think mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I feel, I feel like I just get sucked in to, to Twitter. Yeah. I mean, and it's. And it's, I mean, it's good in ways because I'm, you know, we're in like a part of this book community and everybody's so great and it's awesome mm-hmm. to talk about books. But I'm like, at some point, you just kind of get worn out. Yeah. But and you still it, find yourself doing it. Sure. And, and it's a lot. And I feel like also, I know so many writers and I want to, you know, congratulate every, you know, everybody has so many great things. So it's like every day I'm like, congrats, 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 congrats. <laughs> like, I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for you. And either it's great, but it could be a little exhausting sometimes too. Like, so yeah. I, I think I might, do the same. I mean, I have um, books coming out, so I have to do social media for that. Um, but maybe in the summer, I could have a little break from it. And I mean, I know people who have used the pandemic to just get off it completely and for the better, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure yeah, they're good for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're completely happier in life. And, you know, there's like a toxicity on it as well. It's like you post something and everybody yells and, and opinions and it, it, it's just become like exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, it really has. I mean, in, in, you know, not just within like certain circles, I mean, it's all over the place. And, you know, every time you go on, you're like, okay, good stuff, good stuff. Oh gosh, that makes me not want to get on social media ever again. And yeah, yeah, you yeah. find yourself back there 10 minutes later. And <laughs> people I've like hidden forever. Like they basically don't exist anymore. Because, <laughs> like I can't with like conspiracy theory. It's like, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. that That's one thing I do like about Twitter is that you can, uh, you know, select certain words that, that you can just do away with. Mm-hmm. It, it makes it makes the timeline so much nicer, but stuff still gradually finds its way in. Oh, of course. So maybe it's got to get better about you know putting those keywords in. <laughs> you know, being a little more selective in terms of a few people that like. Right, right. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about your writing process because I'm sure yeah. it's evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I I know you say you you go to the park and write and so forth, but how is it kind of. Uh, you know, are, are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? How's it maybe evolved since you know you were writing in your younger days until sure. you know maybe your debut debut came out until now? It's totally changed. I used to be a pantser completely. My my first book, and I think it's why my first book took so long to write because I had no idea where it was going, and I put it down for years and picked it up again. Um, and now I 100% outline plot. And I'll usually do like a, I'll do like a chapter by chapter outline where it's like a paragraph per chapter. And then I at least have like a home base every day where I'm like, okay, this is what I'm working on. Um, And around halfway through the outline, I'll start to maybe veer a little bit and I'll allow myself to do that. Um, But I at least feel like every day I know what I'm going to be working on. Um, And it allows me to write a book now in like six months as opposed to years. It's it's definitely changed it. so yeah, yeah, com- complete 180. Yeah, I can imagine. I, you know, I I find myself like sitting down, like I've got a great idea, and so I start writing or typing. 
I don't freehand. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you do you freehand? Do you, do you type everything? Like notes here and there, but even okay. now I have a note app on my phone and I'll I'll type in. I used to actually this this you know dates me too, but I used to call my like voicemail before like apps like that, and I would leave myself messages. Sometimes I'd be like drunk or like high or something, and I would like, <laughs> for a plot, and half the time they'd be really good. <laughs> so now it just moves over to like me on my notepad app. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, because I, I find myself, I, you know, I've got the idea, so I go in. Uh, usually it's at like two in the morning. I'll have a great idea. I can just wake up and just start typing on my phone, and I'll send it, and I go, okay, this sounds great. Now, where do I go? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I, you know, I don't do that. I don't have like a, a chapter outline or a, okay, mm -hmm. this is where, this is how it ends. Okay, now I gotta find everything in the middle. I just have like a really great beginnings, and then okay. just nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just gotta get that middle. Yeah, <laughs> I just have to get everything you know, else. The now, man, the climax, you just you know all those things, <laughs> and the last sentence, and, and then you're good to go. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I feel I like get, episode one of a, of a season, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe work, you know, to write like a pilot episode. That's all you right. have sometimes to sell a show, and then you can you, know, you can go from there. Yeah, it's so interesting how so many different writers have uh, do it so differently. Um, I like. I, oftentimes I'll let an idea marinate for a while and sometimes it could be like for a year or it just like kind of sits in the back of my head, the characters form. I'll never just like idea outline. So usually it's stuff that's been like percolating for a while, but I just had an idea for a book. Um, it's it, it's kind of like, it would be like Mad Men, um, but from like a Jewish perspective. So it'd be like Mad Men meets Philip Roth, very literary. Um, and the idea was just like, boom. And I was just bored the other day and it was, it was, crappy weather and i just sat down and like the whole thing just downloaded i mean it was really weird it was just like and then i had like 10 pages of a whole idea from start to finish with characters and everything um so it, it, it's so weird for me like the ancestor was in my head i don't know two years before i sat down to write it uh so it, 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 it just all depends it's like my mood yeah yeah you know I, I, and i feel like you know you either you either had the whole idea or you just have like a piece of it and it just sits there and sits there and sits yeah, there. And, and some authors, you know, say that it takes five, 10, 15 years. I mean, Orange City has been a 20 year process, literally. It was a short story I wrote in college. Then it was a screenplay. Then it was a different short story. Then it was, it, it just has been something for whatever reason has been like the book that through all my other books, I've put down and picked up and put down and picked up. And I think it's really because I think sci-fi is the hardest genre to write. You're, you're literally creating a new world. And I'm not a master at it yet. So like, I think a lot of it was me really like learning how to create a world and a believable world, you know? Um, and if it took that long, it took that long. I hope, I mean, I'm, I have ideas for the sequel. I hope the sequel does not take me that long too. Um, but I don't think so. I think now that the world's created, you know, it'll, it'll come more naturally. I gotcha. So uh, tell me a little bit about Fringe, like how it started and what's, what's it all about? Yeah, so Fringe is on hold right now. Um, we were gonna launch during the pandemic, obviously before the pandemic, and that's kind of put everything on hold right now. And I have four releases coming out this year, so I, I, I just can't. So right now it's kind of on indefinite hold, um, but it, it's something that's definitely gonna happen. And it's basically for books on the Fringe. So it'd be like books that would be out there that maybe a traditional publisher would be like, I don't know how we would market this but in all honesty, should market it and probably would do well if they did market it. Um, so I like to think I love David Lynch. So I feel like if David Lynch wrote novels, those are fringe books basically. Um, and I have some 
I, I'm moving in a screenwriting direction, so I have some film connections. Um, so my goal would be for every book to ultimately find a path um, to producers and um, ha, you know, film or TV or, or, or something like that. So the books I'm looking to acquire um, when it starts up again, um, maybe next year, uh, we'll, we'll all have kind of that in mind. I, 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 I don't want to take books that wouldn't follow that um, you know, Hollywood path. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, because you know you think, you know, okay, they they weren't traditionally published, so maybe you know somebody would self-publish it um, and, and try to market it themselves. Which I know <laughs> there are a lot of authors that are great at it. There are a lot of authors that are just like, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. I hate I hate yeah. you know marketing on social media. But um, that's a really interesting thing. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody taking kind of that approach with 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 uh, with publishing. I have the mindset, especially in publishing, and things are changing so much right now. Anything new is good. I've heard of somewhat other companies doing somewhat similar things that are starting right now. There's a company Neotext that um, it's it's all uh, ebook, but it's it it all is getting fed to producers and etc. Um, I was working for a while with these guys. Um, they run a screenplay competition series, uh, Pipeline Media. Um, so I, I always have a connection with them where I could be like, here's a book to pass along. Is there anybody looking for this right now? Um, and my, my goal also, I would like to make money in life and there's not that much money in like, uh, publishing. Um, so my goal is really, is moving all my stuff. I I'm writing scripts for all my books and, um, trying to get them developed right now. Um, so I, I want to do the same for other people. Uh, what do you mean there's no money in publishing the, there's so much money D doesn't everybody know that every author makes a ton of money when they sell a book yeah i mean it's, it's, people really think that and like decent money like my my book the mentor the one that there somewhere up, up there um, <laughs> that way yeah um that was uh with saint martin's press um it came out in france uh it came out in slovakia so there was all this extra money connected to it but my other books have been with indie presses. It's very, very hard to get the foreign interest, um, to get film interest with it. And oftentimes there's no advance. You wind up getting better, here's sort of like you know a publishing tip. You wind up getting better royalties. So when the book sells and if it sells well, you can make more money on the back end. Traditional publisher, a big publisher, you're sometimes getting 10 to 15% of royalties. So they're taking everything from you. Um, you know, so, so it all depends, but unless you're an A-list author, um, you're not living in a mansion. There's no way. But if, if you're a screenwriter and it sells, now you're really talking actual money, money. Um, so it, it, it has sort of changed my mindset in terms of what I want to do. And I always want to see a book as a beginning, like a book shouldn't be the end. A book could become a video game series. It could become you know, a, a TV, film, a play, a graphic novel. There's so many avenues now to just think of it as like, I wrote a novel. It, I'm never thinking that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, uh, what, uh, what was, what's the what's the series on Netflix right now that's so that's so popular? Uh, the one about chess, I, I just completely yeah. blank. Yeah. Queens Gambit, it isn't, isn't it becoming a play now? It is, I just saw that today, you know, and yeah. it's interesting, you know, that's a book that's 50 years old. It's been literally in development for that long. And it's the tenacity of, I think it was Scott Frank. I believe it's Scott Frank 
um, the producer who ultimately made it happen. It might, it might be a different Scott. Um, but anyway, a, a really huge, amazing producer was the one that made it happen. Um, and look, it's so popular. Yeah, it's gonna become a play. Who knows what else could be, it could become? Maybe they'll make a movie series out of it. Her life continues after that, you know, from, from the last scene. And it was so brilliant and so well done that, yeah, why not? That would be a great graphic novel too. Like, mm -hmm. fun. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know if you saw the, the stuff circulating, which I mean, it, it, I feel like it's an annual thing, but maybe it was more so this year about, uh, you know, the whole like 30 years posts that, you know, everything should be free market and mm -hmm. available to everybody. And that's just another example of like, no, I mean, stuff can sell later on. I mean, you, you yeah. can have a book that's 30, 40, 50 years old that all of a sudden becomes a movie and everybody's going out and buying the book. You get a brand new cover and all this other stuff. Well, yeah, really yeah. So I'm like, what, what is, no, <laughs> the, the answer is something though. You know, the public domain, like a hundred years, you know, so, you know, like Dracula, for example, you don't have to pay Bram Stoker's family to utilize Dracula, obviously, right. you know, 200 years old almost. But yeah, 30 years is way too young. It, it shouldn't be in your lifetime. I feel like that's that that's how it, it should be, because mm -hmm. Walter Tevis is I don't know if he has if his family, but like they're making a lot of money off of this as they should. I mean, it should go to them. He wrote it. Um, right. So I, I, I think that would, that's ludicrous. Like I, I hope if I don't sell one of my books and 20 years from now, somebody wants to buy it, they do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I feel like maybe like a generation or two and then there's a cutoff point, you know, cause, cause at that point you're like, who was my great grandfather? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> but like, I feel like something, it's still the author that created it. Like they should get something for it, you know? Yeah. Sometimes authors like we're treated like crap. <laughs> we really are. Like, you know, we are the, without us, it doesn't exist. You know, the creation doesn't exist. And so I, I, I like that, especially in Hollywood now, Hollywood is like chomping at the bit for novelists. They're like, gimme, 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 because it's like, we know how to create a long series basically. So we're in demand um, and it, it's time. I mean, it, it, it's long overdue, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just, I wish they would stop remaking stuff because there is so much good stuff out there. I mean, you know, you've got original stuff like, you know, Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. You've got the Expanse series uh, and, and Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's so much out there that you can make series of. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There are several books that it's hard to wrap your mind around how you're going to make a movie or a series, yeah. you know, based off of it. But there's so much out there that you're like, do we really need a 50th Predator movie or Alien movie. I mean, granted, there are still books being made. I mean, Alex White just released a new uh, a book in the Alien franchise mm -hmm. uh, a week or two ago. Okay. But, but uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, stuff that was made 20 years ago, does it really need to be remade now? Or can we like just like come Terminator, up Terminator is the perfect example. Terminator 2 of all movies is my favorite movie, like hands down. It's just literally perfect. Terminator 1, amazing. And then after that, each one gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And the last one was like a garbage fire. I mean, it was pointless. So like, that's a thing that needs to end. But I think I just read they're doing, it's becoming like an animated series now. I'm like, okay, maybe like move it to that and like leave it. But like, there should be no more Terminator movies. <laughs> it's, it, it, you know, the horse, the dead horse has been beaten. Right. Yeah. And, 
<clears throat> I mean, I, I, I get that, like, you know, they realize there's money in this, so we're going to make money in it. But I feel like at some point there, there's going to be a, a scale to, to where, like, the money you invest in making it, you're just not going to make that money back. And you're like, like, okay, maybe it's time to kill it. Yeah, I feel like that's happened with it. I mean, it only makes money in foreign, you know, areas. I mean, I think the last Terminator cost way more than it made in, in America. And it, so much is changing now with movies in terms of like what budgets are. More stuff is moving to streaming networks. So like the idea of spending $140 million on the eighth Terminator film that like is not going to make that money and maybe would wind up on Netflix. Like who's going to invest in that? It, it, it's just not the future, you know, like, like Marvel's going to invest that money, you know, maybe a DC film, like things like that, but, but not, a, you know, a, a series from 1984. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It, it, you know, the whole, the whole dynamic of, uh, you know, all this stuff like straight to straight to streaming, like HBO Max has with the Warner Brothers movies this year. Yeah. You know, like, okay, are cinemas still going to be a thing? Are they, are there only going to be like one, uh, you know, brand? You know, is it just going to be AMC and that's going to be all you see? Uh, or will they just completely fold and will everything just be streaming at that point? But I mean, I, I saw an interview, this was years ago with Steven Spielberg. So maybe five, seven years ago. And he was like, only giant movies will wind up being in the theater and then that's it. And you'll pay like 30 bucks to go see that Marvel film or whatever. And everything else really will be on streaming. And you know, this year in all honesty, it's like, I love movies and I go to movies a lot. I've watched so many movies this year and it's not the thing I'm missing going to. I miss so many other things more because I have a giant TV and I could just watch it in the comfort of my home. You know, yeah. like I'm, I'm split, you know, like a movie like the matrix is coming out, you know, on HBO max. Yeah. That probably would be better on a, on a big screen, but like, am I really crying that much? I don't know. Like I, I'm still going to get to see it and maybe I would have missed it anyway and just wound up watching it on my TV, you know, mm -hmm. later. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the kind of best answer is, but it seems like if I was selling a movie right now, um, and I have one that's about to kind of start a development process. Um, I would think the best option for it is going to be a streaming network. It's not going to happen if it's not streaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you see like the, the new King Kong movie, you're like, I would love to see that on a massive screen. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, at the same time, I'm like I can, I can sit in the cover of my own home and I don't have to worry about anybody else ruining it. And I have my own snacks. I don't have to pay, you know, $30 yeah. or $40 more. <laughs> These are a little bit of a pain in the ass. I mean, I, before COVID, I had an AMC pass. So I think you got to see, it was something crazy. It was like, you, you pay like 20 bucks and you could see three movies a week. Yeah. So I, I started finishing up work earlies on Fridays and Friday around like three, I would pop into a film and it was great. I loved it. Cause it was like, okay, I finished everything. I would shut my phone off and I would go see a movie for two hours. Um, and, 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 and that was sort of perfect. But beyond that, I, I never used it. I mean, like it was really only, and you know, for people, they have a million kids, like you're not going to a movie, like <laughs> that's insane. So then a platform like Disney plus comes and you're set, you have everything yeah. for kids and you have a few movies for yourself as well, you know, that, that you want to see too. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, maybe the next couple of years, if we don't have another massive pandemic and, you know, people are kind of out and about again, you know, what is, 
what is the film industry going to be like? What's the music industry going to be like? Because, you know, concerts aren't a thing right now. Things are still getting canceled. Yeah. You know, book book conventions and Comic-Con and stuff like that. That's still kind of like iffy. So, yeah. yeah. But but you better believe football stadiums are going to be full capacity next year. So. I mean, here <laughs> basketball just opened. So, like, a 10% capacity you can go to a Knicks game or a Nets game. And I'm actually, like, when I get my second dose, I think that's maybe the first thing I'm going to do. I feel like that would be, like, the safest – because there'd be so few people and be so socially distanced and just to like, I don't know. I, I don't even care about the Knicks anymore, but just like the thought of doing something yeah. is so exciting. Like, you know, besides just seeing friends outdoors, that's it. It's like, all of <laughs> you know, because I've been just, I've tried to be as safe as possible. And you know, New York's really been amazing. Like people here really have taken it so seriously because we have to, we were like, you know, 10 million people. Right. Exactly. Um, so let's uh, let's get back to book talk. Um, so you're the author of a few thrillers like The Desire Card uh, and The Mentor, and then your debut, Slow Down, was a noir slash dark satire novel that received some fantastic praise. But I want to know a little bit about each of them as you sure. know, um, you're a new author to me and probably uh, several of our listeners. So I want to start with your debut, Slow Down. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So slow down. Um, I like to bill it as a book about horrible people doing horrible things to one another. Um, there's no redeemable characters in the entire book. Um, and it's about this guy who really wants to make it in Hollywood and just does terrible things to climb the ladder. Um, and he falls in with this director who's filming a very avant-garde film. Um, and he, the director is seeing um, the guy's crush from high school. So he gets reunited with her and he sort of falls for the director's wife as well. So slowly he begins to take over the director's life as he begins to take over the movie. And then the question is, well, if he's doing that, should he just get rid of the director completely? Um, so yeah, some, some, some dark things happen. Um, uh, but it has a very like noir kind of quality to it. So like there's a character um, like a femme fatale character who thinks of herself as like a Barbara Stanwyck kind of character. Um, so it's a real nod to like those old 40s and 50s films um, with like kind of a little bit of like one of my favorite movies is The Player. It has like a little bit of a, The Player, the, the Bob Altman film. Okay. Um, uh, how about The Mentor? Yeah, so The, the Mentor was my first at, at like a big press um, and it's about this uh, book editor who's contacted by his favorite professor from college it's been out for about 10 years, um, and the guy's writing a novel. He's so excited to read it. Maybe he'll publish it. He reads it. Not only is it the worst thing ever written, but it's, like, really fucked up and disturbing. And it reminds him of this cold case from when they were at school together and this girl he dated went missing. So he starts to believe that maybe the professor, his mentor, had something to do with this disappearance and that the book is becoming like a, like a confession, like a true crime confession. And then when he won't publish the book, um, the professor makes his life a living hell. <laughs> All right. So you're two for two on it right now so far. So uh, awesome. definitely, yeah. definitely have to pick those up. Uh, and then uh, what about the desire card? So the desire card is about this company called the desire card that promises any wish fulfilled for the right price. Um, and it's a little bit like a monkey's paw. And it follows this guy, Harrison, who's a, a, a Wall Street guy who's basically been given everything in his life and um, treated his liver like garbage and needs a new liver and finds that it's not that easy. Um, so he contacts this company uh, to get a liver off the black market and realizes kind of like the mob, once you're in with the company, you're basically their 
you know, you have to do everything for them and you're at their whim um, and, and breaking away from them um, becomes, uh, you know, very difficult for him. Um, and it, it's, it's an international book. So it takes place in India. Uh, it takes place here in New York. Um, and it was originally going to be the start of the series uh, of a series. And I've written three other books all following the card and different people connected to the card. But um, I'm, I want, I want to, say too much but um it's not at the right publisher for that to be completely honest so i am working with my agent on um re kind of booting the series um hopefully at a different publisher yeah i gotcha yeah, there's nothing wrong with you know trying to trying to get it you know back on maybe like a trademark or something i know yeah um, yeah so they just didn't uh, i i don't i don't like to speak ill of anybody but like uh, they didn't have the kind of scope that I wanted for the series for it. Um, and, and I've written it also as, as um, film scripts for, for a few of the books. So it, it needs to just have a bigger kind of, um, you know, uh, a publisher behind it. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see, we're, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that when, when it's sort of the right time. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Arm City is going to be your first uh, published science fiction novel. Um, so why, I would say the complete genre change, but you've already talked about how the ancestors are a little sci-fi, yeah. but why the, why the genre change to, to straight sci-fi? Um, sort of two reasons. I I never want to be limited just being like, oh, I'm a thriller writer. Um, I, I want to write whatever I feel like writing. And there's kind of this feeling in publishing, it's like, stay in your lane. You do this, that's all you could do. And I'm like, at that, like, I, I want to write a million different things. And like, I have a young adult book coming out too that has no thrills in it. And like, nobody kills each other. Like, it's very sweet, you know, for the most part. Um, and Orange City is just a weird, disturbing, sci-fi dystopian. A lot of my books are weird and disturbing. So like, that was a nice, pro easy progression for me. Um, and because I've been working on the book so long, it kept becoming more sci-fi. So originally, it was just about an advertising executive and he starts to get addicted to the sodas in his ad campaign. And it took place completely in this world. And then slowly, like all these additions of like, maybe it's a different world kind of gotten, got, got attached to it. And it, it just made it so much more interesting and better. And I love sci-fi. So I, I was like, I, sh I, why can't I try it? You know, and, 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 and see what happens. Um, and now I'm hooked. I want, I want to write many, many more sci-fi books. And, um, I mean, it's a whole new world for me. Like I don't, I'm not hooked in, in like the conventions, like I am in the thriller community. Um, so I'm really looking forward to post COVID to kind of like put myself out there in, in, in the sci-fi community. And I know it's completely different. It, it, it's going to be very different than, than the <laughs> community. I know that. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like a lot of times and, and you're right, you authors just kind of get bottled, you know, like, okay, you're only a horror writer. Don't you dare try to write fantasy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel like you, that you, when you do that and you put an author in a box, you, you almost make it to where they don't want to try to tr try anything new. And yeah, you know, it really kind of kills their creative process. I mean, I look at Stephen King as the perfect example. Yeah. When you think of him, you think horror thriller, but like he's written some beautiful literary books. His book on writing about actual writing is is the best in that genre. I mean, for anybody who's a budding writer to pick that up and read it. Um, I'm just reading now, he has a series of hard case crime novels. Um, so I'm just reading later, with, with, which just it, came out. It, it's Wait, great. I'm, I love it. I, I read like 100 pages yesterday. Um, and I liked, I think Joyland was the one before it. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, I know I'm never going to be Stephen King, but he's somebody I'm looking 
towards is like, I want to try to mimic that career in some way and to be able, you know, he publishes under Peter, um, Richard, Richard Bachman. Richard Bachman. Yeah. Bachman, yeah. So he, he, I mean, he's somebody who's just able to kind of publish in so many different ways and, and so many of his books are amazing. So like, why not? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, he's, he's got fantasy with dark tower. I mean, he's got, yeah. you know, horror with, with it and, uh, and Cujo and, and, and so forth. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where like, maybe, you know, it doesn't matter if you get boxed into something, you're like, all right, well, I'm going to try this. And if it's good, you know, great. If it's bad, well, I, I gave it a shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, why not? I mean, Arn City, I own the rights to it from my publisher. So what we're about to do is try to resell it to a bigger publisher. So my goal with this one was to like pick up like reviews and kind of get it noticed, get some good blurbs um, and then use that to sell it. Cause it's such a weird out there book. I think it would have been a tough sell and having not written sci-fi before sending it to like an editor at tour. Um, I, I, I think it would have been tough. Um, so I kind of decided to do it this way um, and we'll see if it works. If not, and this is its path, then that's this path, you know, I'm, um, I mean, I'm not fine with that. I'd rather have it, you know, <laughs> but it, well, if it has to be, it has to be like, I'm, I'm just happy for people to read my books. That That's what I care about the most. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you don't have like a, a bunch of other ideas in the tank. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not like this is the one book you have all your right. books on. Right. Which I think is always a, a smart thing for authors. I think sometimes people work on one book and they're, they're, they're so invested in that book and that's it. And then there's nothing else. I, I feel like, I just put them out and put them out and it's like they all go on different journeys and each journey the book goes on is the journey it's meant to go on. Yeah. So uh, our city is being called a dynamic mashup of 1984 meets lost. So tell me what can we expect from the book? Yeah. So the book is about a, a hidden city um, that may exist in this world, may not. Um, and it's basically a city uh, for either convicts, for outcasts and it lures all these people who are kind of on the fringe of the outside world, which is what they call it, um, to come to the city and kind of reboot, restart their lives. But the problem is you're indebted to the city forever and you can never leave. Um, and the city is ruled by this figure called the man um, who basically resembles like a giant elongated arachnid spider. And he's had all his scientists fashion all these limbs to his body to kind of create this like otherworldly creature and he monitors all his citizens from um, a, an eye-shaped tower and he's basically a dictator so the book has a lot of kind of um, you know parallels or similarities to um, you know what we maybe were going through with our own government these last couple of years um, or what other you know countries are going through with their government dictatorships um, and you know any any anybody that feels sort of oppressed kind of under under a thumb um that that those are the people in our city yeah just so uh you said this has been you know quite a long journey uh mm -hmm. to this point with this book uh well i guess maybe what was your initial inspiration and then what i guess brought you back full circle to inspire you to actually sit down and write it yeah um so I, it was a short story i wrote my senior year in college um, and I don't know, I was very interested in like advertising then. Um, so it was, it was about this guy who worked for an ad company and he had these new sodas in his ad campaign. And all of a sudden he's so addicted to them and they're like changing his mood. And he uncovers this kind of like minor conspiracy um, that, you know, he's basically the guinea pig to test out these sodas. Um, so it had a little bit of kind of a sci-fi aspect to it. 
And then I was like, well, what if it was in this kind of different world? And then the world just kind of started shaping around it. So the sodas become his sort of awakening into the oppression that he has in his sit in, in in the city. And it's also kind of a rebuke on advertising. You know, like I think I was watching, it was like a hamburger commercial, and I just went out and bought a hamburger. Like I wanted the hamburger, I saw the hamburger, I bought the hamburger. And just how I mean that's on a, on a very easy level, but like how we're addicted to advertising and how much it controls our lives from the bottom to the top. Um, so the book is really about that, about that as well. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, and I see you have it set as the first book in a series with mm -hmm. a sequel currently titled Lemon World. So how many, how many books do you actually currently have planned for? I think it's only going to be two unless, like I said, it, it, it sells in a bigger way and they, then I'd write as many as they would want. But I, I, I see it as sort of, you know, like a, a, a two book series. Um, Arn City, the, the city that the next one takes place in is more of like an apocalyptic kind of wasteland. It has more of like a Mad Max feel to it. Um, and then it would also deal with the outside world. It was like a terrible war and that was responsible for kind of the city being created and siphoning off a lot of the prisoners to kind of get them off of, um, you know, away from the country. Um, so all of that would kind of be wrapped up. I don't, I, I don't really see it being more than a two book series if I'm doing it this way. Um, and just like the, the orange city would have like a bright orange cover, lemon world would have like a bright, like yellow lemon cover. And then if you decide to do a third one, it's gonna have a bright green color. It's gonna be called lime something. <laughs> if there was a third one, it would be, I had an idea for a title that was a, a city born blue and that would take place. In the uh, so maybe I would do it where I would write both books and then just split it, split it in half. Like if it was like a 500 page, 600 page book. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, the problem is I have, I, I, I have other books that are due, um, that I'm on deadline for it. So I, I don't know when I'm going to write it. it. It'll, it'll have to be you know, sometime in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so, so sometime when you're actually able to get out in the belt. Yeah. The outline is done. <laughs> so, uh, last thing, so tell, tell me about your, um, about your YA debut runaway train. Sure. Um, so I'm really excited for, for this book. I think it was one of the most fun books that I, I've ever written. Um, I was a teenager in the 90s, so I had no idea what it would be like to be a teenager now, and I wanted to try my hand at a YA novel, and so I was like, let me just set it in the 1990s where I actually experienced it, although it's through the eyes of a 16-year-old girl, so um, that, that that's sort of the difference. And it starts off very sad. Her, her sister dies of a brain aneurysm very suddenly, and it just sends her on this kind of like bad path. You know, she gets involved in drinking and drugs and um, you know, playing hooky from school with her friends. Um, and she's always wanted to be a grunge singer that, you know, her idol is Kurt Cobain. And so she decides for her own health and sanity, um, she needs to just kind of break away from this life that she's in and go drive up the LA coast up to Seattle and meet Kurt Cobain and see what's going to happen. And each chapter is uh, a different grunge song for the mixtape that she makes for her sister who passed. So it's kind of a, 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 the journey is like a tribute to her sister in a way of getting over the the loss because they were quite close, even though they were very different. Her sister was into like shiny pop and everything. So like, it's a way of her teaching her sister about grunge music, yeah. I gotcha. And uh, you, you told me something pretty pretty neat about the title, uh, about, about Runaway Train. You wanna go back over that real quick? Sure. So um, Runaway Train was a song by Soul Asylum uh, in the early 90s. Great song. 
Um, and it's the opening quote, and then the quote is used in the book. So it really would meant a lot that I had to get the rights. Um, so I, I, I was able to get the rights from Soul Silence Management um, for a very, very fair price that really surprised me. Um, <laughs> I thought it was going to be like a lot more and I was going to spend for it. And, you know, I even though I'm working with a publisher, I was like, I'm going to take care of it. It's on me. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I get to quote um, the song in it. And um, I was in contact with his management to get the book. Things kind of stopped a few weeks ago a few months ago in terms of that. So I'm not sure, but if I can get the the band, the book, um, that would be great. The Ancestor actually um, was inspired by this group, Darling Side. They're a great indie indie rock band. Um, and they have a song called Ancestor and that was the inspiration. And I contacted them and they were really, really cool and excited. And I sent the book to the all, all the band. Um, and they recently had like a, a a live session where they played the Ancestor. And I responded on it and they were like, well, how is your ancestor doing? And I was like, I'm done. You know, like, <laughs> so yeah, music, um, music's a huge inspiration and um, you never know who you might meet writing a book. Oh, absolutely. Have you thought about doing like a Spotify playlist or anything for, for Ryan mm -hmm. Train? Yep. I've done it for that. And then the sequel is called Grenade Bouquets, which is the name of the band that the main singer creates. Um, so yeah, I have a Spotify playlist for both. Um, and the book comes out April 29th. So I'm going to share the playlist, uh, kind of closer to then to kind of, you know, stoke up interest in it. But yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun to do and, you know, perfect. Cause it was, it wound up being about like 30 songs. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know many, uh, too many people that, that kind of do the whole like music with the book. Um, the only one I really know of is, is Nicholas Eames. He wrote a, a book called Kings of the Wild and he did a Spotify post a little bit later, but his is like seventies and eighties rock. Okay. And so, you know, it's about these bands that go and, and play kind of like concerts, but they're basically mercenaries that, you know, are just you know, defeating these giant monsters and stuff. But oh, cool. it's, it's kind of really neat. Cause I mean, I, I enjoy music. I don't listen to a whole lot of it anymore because a lot of stuff I listen to is just audiobooks. But yeah. it's always neat to have a soundtrack to the book you're reading. And so you yeah. can listen to it while you're reading it. It just gives you a, a much more immersive experience. I mean, I find like a lot of my books have a natural soundtrack to it. Like just music I'm listening. The Ancestor took place in Alaska. It was very like dark and ominous. So I was listening to a lot of like just very quiet, like Bon Iver and um, Darling Side, um, um, that band Sigoros. I always mispronounce their name, the Icelandic band. Um, you know, and Runaway Train was completely, you know, there's Nirvana in it. In the second book, the character meets Courtney Love. There's a scene with Courtney Love. Um, so like, I was listening to a lot of Hole. Um, and it was just all these bands from my youth that it was really fun to listen to again. And I hope that opens that music up to a whole new generation, you know, that they, that they, especially with Spotify, you just have access to everything. So it's so easy to be like, huh, whole, okay, let me go listen to some of the songs and check them out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hope it opens it opens that music up to a whole new generation. That'd be awesome. Um, last question I got for you. Is there anything you've read recently that you'd recommend to the audience? Um, yeah, so I, I was saying, I, I'm reading Later Right Now by Stephen King. It's really, really good. Um, what else have I read that I really liked? Oh my God, I'm having a brain fart. Um, there's this book, White Ivy, um, that, that I really liked. Um, I've heard, um, this book, We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker, that's getting a lot of press. It's a thriller book. Um, that's really, 
uh, I, I've heard is good. So that's on my list. Um, in terms of sci-fi, I don't know. Do you have a recommendation? Is there is there a book um, that, that you've read recently that I could pick up that's sci-fi? Sci-fi. I'm a huge fan of Joe Hill too. So like I, I'm reading his whole catalog. Okay. Uh, it's not one I read recently, but um, Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky uh, is a phenomenal, a phenomenal like, sci-fi novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on my list. Uh, and it expands the series, which also came from books. That's oh, yeah. to watch. Yeah, I, I still I still need to get to that entire series, and I still need to watch the entire series. I, I've seen the first season, but man, it's like it's like since since the kid got here, it's like no right. TV. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all reading. So there's a dystopian yeah. book, um, Clara and the Sun, that just came out. It was just the front page of the the New York Times book review um, by Ishiguro. Um, that that's supposed to be great. So I just ordered that from Amazon today. So that I, I'm sure it's going to be good. I, I can already recommend it. It's not going to be bad. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, uh, well, Lee, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and chatting and definitely looking forward to Orange City, which hits shelves next uh, a week from now. So uh, yeah. and de definitely uh, make sure to go check it out. And I think uh, it's currently up for like a dollar ninety nine uh, pre order yeah, for ebook. So it's it, the paperbacks more, but I'm keeping the Kindle price at a dollar 99 forever. So, um, I, I think Kindle books should always be as cheap as possible. Just get them into, you know, people's devices. So, yep. For a buck 99, what's a buck 99. Yeah. If you can buy right. it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're definitely looking forward to it. Uh, appreciate you coming on and definitely looking forward to, uh, what you got coming up, uh, especially runaway train. I'll definitely check it out in the, in the Spotify playlist when you post that. Um, and yeah, we'll try to do this again. Absolutely. I would love to be on again and thanks so much for having me. Um, and hope you have a great day. Absolutely. You do the same.